Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of the Bible, how it was put together, how certain books got in and other books were left out, how tradition impacted that, and who decided who decided how, what, how it came together in the first place. <laughs> it was questions like that, looking into the history of my faith, that I began to encounter the, the Catholic Church. And for the first time in my life, began to read from Catholic theologians and the history of Catholicism, and realized that what I thought I knew about Catholics was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what do you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week I am joined by Keith and Estelle Nestor to tell their fantastic conversion story. Guys, <laughs> this is maybe one of my favorite conversations that I've had on this show, uh, I don't know, maybe ever. It's... Uh, Amazing. Keith Nestor, of course, has been on this show a number of times. He's a former Protestant pastor, spent 22 years in pastoral ministry, and Estelle is his wife, who was along for that journey. Uh, raised Catholic, kind of became evangelical along with Keith as he began dating and got married eventually, and she married a pastor and became a pastor's wife in large part. Well, what happens then when Keith begins to explore Catholicism, the faith that Estelle knew as a kid and struggled to understand as a kid and to engage with as a kid? And suddenly, here's her husband, the, the, the pastor, wrestling and asking questions about the Catholic faith and eventually giving up his job as a pastor to become a Catholic. How did that happen? How did they together as a couple wrestle through that and everything in between? It's a fantastic conversation full of all kinds of uh, emotions and insights and <laughs> miracles. It's an amazing conversation. I think you'll love it. This conversation and all others on this show, this show, in fact, all together, is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com and our one-time donors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. This isn't my full-time job, so your support of the show helps make this thing possible week after week. If you want to help support this show, those links are in the show notes. Check those out if you feel led to help support this thing. And thank you for listening, and thank you for those who are already supporting this show week after week. You guys are amazing. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Keith and Estelle Nestor. <laughs> it's one for the ages, guys. I hope you love it. Please listen and truly, truly enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, uh, hit the bell, leave some comments, like the video, do all those fun things that people do on YouTube, and thank you for watching. If you're listening on podcasts, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review that helps to push the podcast out to new people. And thanks for listening. Uh, this episode this week is, oh, oh goodness, 
fantastic. This is going to be an amazing episode. I think you'll love it. I'm already having the time of my life uh, with these two guests. I'm joined by Keith and Estelle Nestor. You know Keith, I think from this podcast in previous times and, and places, from his YouTube channel, I'm sure you've seen him out there. He's a former Protestant pastor who's become Catholic and is making some awesome content that's going everywhere. Uh, he's going everywhere also. And Estelle is the long-suffering spouse of, of Keith. <laughs> Somehow, uh, hanging on, uh, they're here to tell us their incredible uh, conversion journey. We're in for an awesome episode, guys. So welcome, uh, Keith and Estelle. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> this- Thanks, Keith. <laughs> going to be a lot of fun uh, for all kinds of reasons. I, I think what I'll do I mean, to begin with is I, is kind of sketch out the idea of, of this show for the listeners. This is one of those things that I get asked uh, tons of times, maybe one of those requested kind of kind of shows that people ask us to do on, on this on this show, and that's to hear the journey of, of spouses into the Catholic faith. I get all kinds of emails from from wives, from husbands saying, hey, my, my wife's converting, what do I do? My husband's converting, what, what do I do? Uh, from from both sides uh, of you know of those conversations, and so I, I'm trying to bring more of these kind of conversations to listeners because they want to hear what what happens when one of the spouses becomes Catholic. What happens when one of the spouses who is a Protestant pastor for, for a long, long time for the duration of I, I think your marriage, guys, becomes Catholic? <laughs> what, what happens in these circumstances? So I, you guys have a great story to tell. I, I think listeners are, are dying to hear it. And I think you'll bring a pretty awesome perspective to this kind of, of conversation, this kind of conversion journey. So I think what we'll do is we'll start off with maybe hearing about your own kind of faith backgrounds as you guys uh, uh, were kind of growing up and then how you met, what what happened from there. I know Keith got into ministry and did that for, for a long while, uh, but began to look at the Catholic Church. So, so what were you thinking, Estelle? What, what were you thinking <laughs> at that point? And then kind of the culmination, like, you know, Keith, you became Catholic. Estelle, well, we'll find out. But what was that like for you guys? I mean, there's so much there to unpack. So I think we'll start at the beginning, if you're okay with that. And I don't know who wants to go sure. first, but maybe one of you guys start and kind of sketch out maybe a thumbnail sketch of your faith journey up to the point when you met the other person. How does that sound? Okay. Great. Well, I grew up in the home of a pastor. You know, my dad was a pastor, so always going to church. Um, grew up in Iowa and just raised in the Methodist church. My dad was a Methodist pastor. He's retired now. So I always had that experience of being in the faith and around the faith. And so for me, that was just sort of like the air that we breathed as a family. Our faith journey was pretty, pretty um, normal, I would say. In terms of like things like Catholicism, I had real, uh, no real exposure to it at all. I didn't know anybody that was really Catholic that practiced their faith. So I just sort of grew up in kind of the, like the 80s sort of evangelical kind of youth group culture, although I didn't really go to youth group too much, but that was kind of my jam. And had a very uh, powerful experience at a church camp that I went to. Cause that was a very big part of my life was this camp. I went to every single summer and that was where I was really formed spiritually and given the fire of God. So I would go to camp every summer, get all charged up. And then I would go back home and try to keep that fire going as best I could. But uh, you know, I bounced around a lot to different churches, even though my dad was the pastor, he never said, you have to come here. 
uh, once I hit like about ninth grade, I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do. So I'd go to my dad's church sometimes and I'd go to other churches here and there, but I've never had any kind of exposure to Catholicism. It just didn't seem like anything I would be interested in because I liked high energy, excitement, uh, contemporary music, all of those types of things. Anything that was that was high energy and fun, I wanted that to be my faith experience. And when I thought think about like Catholicism or anything liturgical, high church, to me that just seems com- like completely unrelatable, and I had no desire to be a part of that. But the thing that I was really interested in more than anything was music. And I played the drums in uh, various bands since I was a kid. I always wanted to do that. That was my dream in life. And after um, a couple years of college and a couple different things that I was doing, I basically dropped out and I moved to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to play drums in a band. And while I was out there, I was searching for a church to be a part of. Now, the band I was a part of wasn't a Christian band or anything like that, but I was trying to have a connection to my faith still. So I would bounce around and go to different churches looking for something. And I wound up kind of putting some roots down in a Calvary chapel out in Philadelphia, big, it's a big church. And I just absolutely loved it. I was growing in the word and just going to church as much as I possibly could feeling like studying the Bible was feeding my soul more than anything else. And it was while I was out there that I felt like the Lord was putting it on my heart to offer that, that dream that I had of doing music full time up to him and basically recommitting my life to Christ in a new way, not just from a standpoint of, well, I want to go to heaven. So I'm a Christian, but God, I want you to take control of my life. I want to do what you want, not just bless what I want. And it, it was a moment there in Philly where I made that decision to do that. And it wasn't long after that, where I got a call from a friend of mine who was a pastor back in Iowa that I had met when I was going to church camp. And he was trying to track me down because he wanted me to become um, his youth pastor at a little Methodist church in a town in Iowa. And I was like, what? God is calling me out. He's calling my bluff. I didn't want to do it, you know, but I knew that God was saying, look, if you're going to offer yourself to me, you can't back out when I, when I call you. So, um, I made the decision to go back to Iowa and um, interview for that job, which ultimately I was offered. And right around that time is where Estelle comes into the picture. So I'll stop with my part right there so we can get caught up with her. Okay, I will just take it from there. I guess I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, I was baptized Catholic, went to Catholic school for 12 years. Um, But unfortunately... We did not attend mass every Sunday. We basically went on Christmas and Easter and funerals. <laughs> and um, I didn't really understand my faith. So I went through the motions, sacraments and, and all of that, but I never let it in my heart. I didn't know why I was doing the things I was doing. Um, I did have a desire to learn about Jesus and to follow God. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I believed all the Bible stories we were taught and all of that. Um, but as far as living that in my, my own life, uh, practically, the, it, it did not look like that at all. And I feel like I had a typical childhood 
teenage years. Um, I made some mistakes, but I was trying to be a good person and, and all of that. And I thought that was good enough. Um, I worked at the Olive Garden in Philadelphia. I remember the day I applied for the job. I walked in and thought, okay, this, I belong here. I'm a good server. I'm a good worker whatever. And, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this cute guy that, that I thought, well, (laughs) he's pretty cute. I would like to work with him. So anyway, we, Keith and I met at the Olive Garden. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. In Philadelphia. I was I was making the raspberry lemonade over there in the in the beverage stand and I looked through the through the fake plants and I saw Estelle sitting there at the little table in the bar filling out an application. And this is no joke. I literally said to my friend who was standing next to me, I, I said, Look at that girl right there. I'm gonna marry her someday. <laughs> Get serious. And I I chuckle at that part of the story because while I thought Keith was very cute, I also thought, well, he's probably got every girl all over him and he's probably super arrogant and he's a jerk. So I won't have anything to do with him. Every word of that is true. (laughs) Just kidding. But when I got to know him, I realized that he was the nicest person I ever met and I didn't understand why. And what I learned later was it was attached to his faith, which is super cool. He was trying to follow God and be this great Christian that I had never seen anybody do something like that before. I know that my friends and and family and people that I was around believed in God just like I did. But again, I never saw people live it out practically or try to follow and do what Jesus said. Minus like the Ten Commandments. I think people were like, well, if you don't break the Ten Commandments, you're good enough. And here this guy comes along. Um, before I realized it was uh, the fact that he was a Christian, I thought, well, he's from Iowa. So it must mean that everybody from Iowa is super awesome like that. Um, but again, later I realized it was because he was he was different than anybody ever met because he was trying to follow Jesus. I love that it could be Iowa though. It could have been Iowa. I don't know. Yeah. Do you remember on Cheers when everyone thought that Woody Harrelson was super nice because he was from like was he Wisconsin or something like that? I don't remember. All the people in Boston were like, "Oh, well, you're just you know, you're kind of naive and just super uh, clueless, but nice because of that." I, I kind of got that when I was out there. People, yeah. people used to call me Iowa. They'd be like, "Okay, Iowa, whatever, whatever." <laughs> hey, Iowa, why don't you ever curse? <laughs> I get that a lot. I'm like, well, it's because I'm trying to live for Jesus, man. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. So, Keith, one of the things that you said before in, in your story was that you you met Estelle, you, you realized that she was Catholic and thought, oh, I can save her. That was kind of your perspective when you, when you met her. Uh, is that accurate? And, and Estelle, is that fair? Like, was, was he saving you? Is that, is that what you kind of felt like too? Ooh, that's... That's a tricky question because, you know, I have a different perspective now, but looking back, I would say, yes, he was saving me when he uh, asked me if I would like to go to the non-denominational church that he was going to. I said, yes, of course, Um, because again, I had a desire to learn about God and I believed in God. So 
and he was pretty cute too. So I thought, <laughs> of course, I'll go to church with you. And I thought my parents are going to be super excited. I'm going out with a church guy. Like, that's awesome. So when I walked in and saw what was happening in this non-denominational church, people bringing their Bibles and opening up their Bibles <laughs> and hearing a sermon for 45 minutes, I thanked him. I, I thought this is what I've been missing my whole entire life. So yeah. yes, I would say maybe it did feel like he was saving me a little bit. Yeah. And I remember her asking me um, if, well, cause I asked her, I said, Hey, do you go to church? And she said, um, well, I'm Catholic. Does that count? You know? And I said, and I was just like, no, <laughs> yeah. because you know, that was yeah, sort of the, yeah. that was sort of the vibe that, that was given at, at my church that I was going to, you know, they would talk about how Jesus came to save us from religious practices and from, you know, all these legalistic rules and a workspace salvation. And there was a lot of, of subtle, but not so subtle jabs at Catholicism. Um, Cause I think, I think the pastor was a former Catholic. And, and so there was a lot of talk about like, well, we just preach Jesus here. We don't add all this other stuff to it. Like the other religions do like Catholicism. So I kind of had part of my onboarding, I guess, with that church was also including an onboarding prejudice against Catholicism. And so when I knew that Stell was Catholic, but she was interested in coming to church with me, I was like, okay, boom, let's, I'm going to save her from that because that's what I thought yeah, I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can. I understand that mindset. I think a lot of a lot of listeners who are from that background will, will get that, right? I can think of a time when I I had a, a friend, a good, uh, well, a roommate that was in Campus Crusade with me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't roommate; she lived in residence with us. And my good friend was was there, so I, I began going with him to this. And it turns out that this girl that went with us, who lived in residence with us, was dating a Catholic guy, and I was like scandalized. I thought, <laughs> wait a minute. How could you, like, you're in Campus Crusade, you're out here saving people, date a, a non-Christian? Like that, yeah. that, that was our thinking, right? This guy's Catholic. Well, that doesn't even count. He's not, he's, not, yeah. he's not Christian, right? He's not actually trying to follow Christ. Like, we were out there evangelizing and, and that kind of stuff, right? So I think, yeah. a lot of, I think a lot of listeners will, will kind of get that mindset, right? That's exactly the mindset I had. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so here you are then, I guess, and you, you talked about starting this kind of starting the, this ministry when guys kind of started started dating is that the right timeline you got yeah, married so at some point there so right around the time that we kind of started dating ish yeah. is when i got the job offer to go back to iowa <laughs> so it was really weird because i was so worked up about leaving the band that i was in but really that wasn't nearly as hard as facing the idea of like leaving Estelle because i was really i was really uh falling for her, you know, and I'm like, Oh man, I finally found this amazing girl. She's coming to church with me. This is awesome. And now I'm leaving and I don't know if I'll ever see her again. Remember this is before cell phones. This is before the internet. This is before any of that. So when you moved away from somebody, that was pretty much it. So I was, I was really upset about that, but I think we both sort of felt like we wanted this relationship to continue. And when I got back to, or when I got to Iowa and started working in the church, it wasn't long before I had asked Estelle to come out to Iowa as well. And, you know, things weren't going great for her back in Philly. So 
she agreed. And so it was a few months later that she came out and ended up staying. She moved in with our pastor and his family and which was awesome. (laughs) And then um, we got engaged like a few months later and then we got married a year later. (laughs) That's commitment. Yeah. I mean, the thing that wasn't going so well was home. My parents were very freaked out about the change that had taken place in my heart. And they were thinking that the non-denominational church was a cult and Keith was brainwashing me and this and that. So that's what I was dealing with. And I felt very alone trying to wrestle with, I'm just trying to follow Jesus and learn the Bible but my parents are freaked out by it. Um, And Keith left and I had no other friends or no other example. I had nobody to cling to or ask advice or anything about how to deal with what I was going through. So it kind of made sense for me at the time to move out because I felt like, well, I'm going to go to Iowa and be with the person who's teaching me about Jesus because at that time that was really that was that was a new desire in my life was to learn about the Bible and learn about Jesus I was all about it and Keith was the person who was teaching me and leading me so I felt like it made perfect sense to move to Iowa Um, however as a 19 year old (laughs) You don't really think about the people you're hurting and oh, yeah. all of that and the the decisions you're making, like the other consequences of, of that decision, um, which we'll probably get into a little bit later. Um, so you don't think like that when you're a, a teenager, yeah. you're, you know, kind of just thinking of yourself. Yeah. You just joined the cult and moved to Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm looking at them. I, I can see what, yeah. I, I, I mean, I come on. Come on, yeah. <laughs> so you guys really began your your marriage, you're marrying a, a, a pastor's wife, right? I mean, so yeah. the, 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 the foundation of your marriage, in a sense, is, is going into this knowing that the person you're marrying is Protestant, you know, youth pastor. Right. Right, that's, that, so <laughs> what, what happens when, when Keith has, because Keith, you've told the story of, of meeting Devin when making the, your youth group logo. It's a great story. It also involves being, you know, out on your anniversary, which I think is an awesome story. <laughs> I want to hear Estelle's, you know, take on this. What, what was, I mean, what was going on? Like, what is it like, Estelle, when, when Keith comes home? I mean, I married a year, comes home and from About, this, yeah. this Catholic guy's house. Did he debrief with you and go, I just met this guy and it was so weird. Like, what? What was, or did, keep, or did, or did, did you hear nothing from, you from know, that? I don't really remember talking about the fact that Devin was, well, maybe a little bit that he was Catholic. Um, but mostly we, I heard about the design, the logo that Devin created, which was amazing. And I heard that Keith met, you know, an on fire guy, yeah, our yeah, on fire yeah. guy who was Catholic. And that was interesting to him <laughs> and, and weird to him. Um, But after that, I was like, okay, well, happy anniversary. Like, let's focus on that. (laughs) So um, that's pretty much where that went. (laughs) Yeah, it was interesting because, so for those of you that don't know, like the first Catholic person I ever met was this guy who was a designer and he was working on a logo for our youth ministry. 
And when I went to his house for him to look at the logos he was designing, um, that's when I realized he was Catholic because he had all these Catholic icons and statues and pictures everywhere. And we started having this conversation about the faith. And he was the first Catholic person I ever met that knew their faith. And he started challenging me. I was challenging him. So we got into this big um, heated conversation where I'm believing that I can convert him. And we were both in our early twenties. We both thought we knew everything. We were both like, you know, conquer the world. And we uh, basically, our friendship started with like, okay, we really like each other, but we're coming from two different worlds and we both want to convert the other one. So we would have these conversations. Well, during all of this, Estelle is working at the mall um, in a photography studio. And while she's working there, um, she would take these breaks and walk the mall and hang out with this, with this particular woman in the store where she was working and they would get together and her name was Kim. So they're getting together, hanging out. And I didn't know anything about Kim, you know, or whatever, but, um, it just so happens that Devin Shad's wife's name is Kim. And I invited them. I said, Hey, I want you to meet my wife. Will you come over, bring your wife over to our house? We'll have dinner. Well, when they came over, Estelle looked at Kim and went, oh my gosh, it's you. Kim and I had become pretty decent friends at the mall. And we would take breaks together or we would walk the mall together or just shop and whatever. And it was so cool because I knew her husband's name was Devin and it didn't click until we saw each other and I was so excited that it was her and I was so thrilled to be great friends with them that we learned a lot from them and the difference is like the stuff that they would talk about and and Kim and I specifically like we agreed I didn't know that she was coming from a Catholic perspective and I was coming like we just had amazing conversation and it didn't feel like she was trying to convert me. And I certainly wasn't in a position to try to convert anybody because I was very new to the faith. So I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I was still learning and I was learning from Kim too. So seeds were planted, I guess. Yeah, it was great. It was great because when, when we, when they first came in and, and Estelle and Kim were looking at each other, like Devin and I are looking at each other like, what is happening? You know, we're just meeting for the first time and these women already know each other. So it was like, it was like God set this whole thing up it was meant to be. for this friendship to take place. And it was, you know, through that friendship that um, I began to get exposed to a lot of Catholic apologetics, a lot of different, different writings and different, the just the understanding of what the Catholic faith even is. And I realized that, what I thought I knew about Catholicism really wasn't true. And it became pretty clear to me that I wasn't going to be able to convert Devin to become a Protestant. Um, And I think that he probably felt like there was no way he was going to convert me to become Catholic because when you're, when you're in those kind of relationships and the other person makes a point that gets through, you can't let them know because it's kind of like a competition, (laughs) especially for two guys in their twenties who both, who both have short man complexes, who, you know, we're, we're super competitive. It's like, no, you won't, you won't let me, you won't defeat me. You won't convert me. So, but I was seeing things and kind of going, Whoa, wow, that's kind of cool. I never really thought about the fact that Jesus started a church before I'd always been told that church was just sort of this 
loose thing that, you know, the believers in the world everywhere, but no one, no one really knows who's a part of it and who isn't and, and whatever. And certainly didn't have a, a theology of the authority of the church. So hearing things from Devin's perspective was really fascinating to me, but you know, this was our life. This was our job and, and our ministry was growing. So for, for me, I was very like, I knew I could only go so far with these conversations and these, these um, aha moments about Catholicism because I wouldn't be able to go all the way because of what I was doing. I felt like I can't do that because I'm a youth pastor of this big youth group. So this is what I do. Yeah. Well, I love how that, that meeting is orchestrated like that. That's an amazing story. First of all, I've not heard that before. And that's awesome guys <laughs> to share that. That's really cool. Were you, you and Estelle, were you guys your partners in this youth group ministry? I mean, I guess, I guess if you're marrying a, a, a pastor from the outset, you, there's gotta be some kind of, of commitment together in this, in this ministry, right? Is that kind of how it felt as this youth group kind of grew? Well, do you want to take that? Or you want me to take that? Um, I would say that I was one of his volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that we were equal partners. He was definitely the leader of the youth group. Yeah. And we had a team of volunteers that were helped work with the kids and small groups and different activities or something like that. And I was one of them. So yeah, would you say that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And you know, we started having kids pretty quickly after we got married. So you know, by the time the youth ministry was really starting to to get going, she was taking care of three little kids at home and she was working part time. Um, so Estelle wasn't really able to be like, like hands on in the ministry all the time. When she first moved to Iowa with me, that was kind of what happened. We were both together on a lot of things when it was starting to grow. But we had to sort of wade through that. Um, as a married couple, because just because you're married to somebody doesn't mean that you can work together that closely. And we certainly had our moments where that was a struggle as a married couple, because when you're newly married, it's funny because, so my dad, for our engagement present, he got us some sessions with a premarital counselor. And one of the things that the counselor said to us was he said, yeah, you guys, you guys can't work together. He's like, <laughs> he's like, Estelle just needs to do her thing. Keith needs to do his thing and you can help out once in a while. But, and he, he said, I think it was, he said, no married couple should hang wallpaper together before they've been married for 10 years because one person has to be in charge and the other person has to be a helper. <laughs> and both Estelle and I, have pretty strong personalities. And when you're first starting something and you're first newly together and you're young, you know, we, we learned that it was tough on us sometimes because just because I wanted to do something a certain way, didn't mean it was the best way to do it. And she would say, my ideas are better. Yeah. She'd be like, Hey, what are you doing that for? (laughs) That game's dumb. (laughs) That was a terrible, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, the truth is like, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I, I, I never had any training to be a youth pastor. I never even hardly went to youth group, Keith. That's why I was so crazy that I got hired at this church because I didn't know what I was doing. And yet this little youth group that started with 12 kids was blowing up to like 300 kids every week. So when you're in that situation and you're young and you're full of fire and God blows this thing up, Right it's not a, a, a stretch to think that that might go to your head a little bit and you might get to a place. And this definitely happened to me and it was hard on us, right? We went through some dark times because 
I got to this place where my identity was so wrapped up in this youth ministry and the success that I was having that I felt like I couldn't let my foot off the gas for that for one second. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the success that was happening in there, um, you know, that time in history in the, in the church world that we were in was, it was kind of the time when like the first rock star pastors were starting to become a thing. Mm. And I feel like people were sort of putting that on me a little yeah. bit. They're like, Oh, you're leading a band. You're because we had a youth band that was traveling all over, writing CDs and stuff. So there were a lot of people that were sort of putting me on this pedestal and I was way too immature to deal with it. And you know, that contributed a lot to my, um, you know, when I thought about Catholicism, it's like, well, you know, I can't, I can't go too far with that because this is what I do. This is what makes me important to God. It's, you know, and I remember talking with Devin because he was also, he was a volunteer youth pastor at his church and he and I, so now we're like across town competing for kids and stuff. And it, it was awful, but, um, you know, I saw him giving all of his time to this and I felt like, I felt like, wow, man, you know, I have to just keep pushing on this. Cause if I don't have this, like, what else can I do? You know, I, I'm not, I don't have any other skills. And so that sort of was, you know, that, that was tough on us as a married couple because, you know, I, I wanted to be the man, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to be in charge of everything and, and, Stella has lots of great ideas and lots of things, but like at some point in time, I, I know that I was like kind of pushed her out of that and kind of pushed her away and said, look, this is my thing, you know? And I did that to really a lot of people because I had a lot of people that wanted to help and volunteers and stuff, but I, I was a control freak about it because it was, it was really my identity. Yeah. Which I, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I get that. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the Catholic thing, I mean, that makes sense too. You, you push that, to the background because you can't think of those things when your identity is wrapped up in, in, in this thing, but you did eventually. So I know at some point you were invited to go on a pilgrimage, right? This is one of those things we talked about before in your conversion journey. Uh, Maybe how did that come about and how did you break that to Estelle? Like, well, (laughs) I'm going to go do this thing. That sounds kind of crazy. (laughs) So yeah, that, that came about because Devin invited me to meet somebody who, um, he, he had his life, his name's Greg and, and Greg had, had a radical conversion. He's Catholic, but he had a, he had a conversion to, to really a deep relationship with Jesus because of a pilgrimage to Medjugorje that he took. And God had brought him a level of success in his business that allowed him to, to bring others on trips. And that was one of the ways that he, like, that was kind of his ministry was I'm going to take people to Medjugorje. And so we got together to meet Greg. I had no idea why, but we just met at this restaurant and Greg, Greg said to me, Oh, my daughter goes to your youth group. And I thought, Oh, really? And then I started thinking, well, why am I here? Cause he, he, he's probably gonna yell at me because here I am corrupting his daughter in this Protestant youth group. <laughs> but he was like, thank you so much for what you do. She loves the youth ministry. She comes home every Wednesday night on fire for her faith. And to say, thank you. I would like to invite you on an all expenses paid trip to Rome and Medjugorje. And I didn't know anything about what Medjugorje was, but I heard about Rome and I'm, you know, I'm Italian. And I think I was making like $28,000 a year, I think by that point in time. So there was no 
international travel going on in Keith's <laughs> life, you know? So when someone says they're going to pay for me to do this trip, I was like, Whoa, is that really, cause that can that happen? So I, I just remember going home and telling Estelle, you're not going to believe this, but I just got invited to go on this trip. You know, can I go? And she was like, yeah, that's an amazing opportunity. You should do that. But I didn't really think that that was like, well, this is something that's going to like, um, people are going to try to make me Catholic. I just thought this is a nice trip I'm going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so it wasn't, it wasn't framed as this Catholic pilgrimage that you're suddenly going on. I think if they would have done that, I probably wouldn't have gone, but well, I might've still gone, but because at that time I probably would have thought, sweet, how many other people can I convert? You know, I'll convert the Pope you know, or, or, or whatever. But it, yeah, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I knew what I was kind of getting into as the trip approached and there were meetings ahead of time and, they invited me to come over and meet some people. And of course, when we got on the bus to drive to Chicago to get on the plane, literally within two minutes, somebody hands me a rosary and says, Hey, let's pray the rosary. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Get that evil witchcraft away from me, you know? But the whole trip was, was nothing but prayer and fun. And it was, it was awesome. But yeah, there was some tense moments for me over there as a non-Catholic because there were a few times when we would, you know, even Devin and I, we got into a pretty hardcore one night on the street corner in Medjugorje about the faith. And I think the cops came one night. It was, <laughs> it was, I don't know, but you know, there were a lot of things over there that opened my eyes to, to the realization that, you know, the way these people were worshiping Jesus through Mary was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I had to, one thing I had to let go of was this idea that these people were somehow less than me and my faith. Like I saw what I saw over there were these people have something that I don't even have. Like I, I felt like I was kind of the deficient one during that time, because I'm looking at the devotion of these people. I'm looking at the people who are, who I'm meeting in Medjugorje, you know, and seeing all that. And I'm just like, wow, this isn't, this is like a different universe, but it's so, it's so awesome. But yet, at the same time, I still felt like it's a different world for me. I, I don't belong there. Estelle, did Keith come back changed from that pilgrimage? Did he come back with glowing in a different way when he came back? Um, I would say that he had a wonderful experience. He came home and he was talking nonstop about different things throughout the different days. But I didn't get a sense that he was feeling led to become Catholic or anything like that. No. So... It didn't concern me. I didn't think anything of it. And the truth is, is I never, ever thought that he would become Catholic. So I, it just wasn't on my radar yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess the next question is then, when did it come on your radar? I mean, a lot of the, <laughs> one of the, the, the things that I hear on this show all the time from so many, so many guests, from the wives of husbands, the husbands of wives, you know, both spouses, uh, where one goes on a journey and doesn't let the other one know anything's going on in their in their own internal mm -hmm. monologue, right? They go, they do, and and I am very similar to my own journey, right? I read all kinds of things. I was up till till late hours uh, in the early days of YouTube, binging, you know, binging YouTube uh, Catholic theology videos and stuff, and Scott Hahn things, and and the journey home for hours. My wife was in bed after she went to bed. I'd, I'd get in the computer and I'd log on. I'd watch hours of Catholic YouTube. Wow. I did, you know, what? I didn't share that journey, and, and I learned it once in a while what I was thinking and doing. And she had an idea that I was doing these because you see books that I'm reading and stuff. But it was, it wasn't a journey that I was on with her or brought her along. And so many guests on this show have that same kind of experience where one spouse 
is digging into this, uh, getting in, in deep, and then go, oh, by the way, honey, I'm, I think I'm becoming Catholic, like next, mm. kind of next week. Uh, oh, I, when was the tipping point, I guess, Estelle, where you began to hear kind of rumblings of maybe Keith might actually consider becoming Catholic, like that, making that, yeah. that hard right turn? Yeah, I would say it wasn't until about 15 or so years later after that initial trip. Wow. Is yeah. that about yeah. right? Maybe Keith? not quite that much, but, okay. but close to it was years later because I did have an experience where I did feel like not, not long after the pilgrimage where I did feel like perhaps like I felt called <clears throat> to become Catholic. It was a pretty powerful experience at a church camp where I was the pastor with some other pastors and we were doing a Eucharistic night. I mean, we didn't call it that. I just called it community. We we're having a communion service with our teenagers. And my friend was leading that service. And I remember him saying, you know, Jesus took bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this represents my body. And all this stuff that I'd learned about Catholicism was hitting me. And it was just like, it all came crashing down. And I felt like, okay, I need to become Catholic, you know? And I remember going outside, going down and calling Devin on the phone saying, man, I think I'm supposed to become Catholic. And, but then by the time I got back up to the lodge where everybody was worshiping, I saw all these kids, they're raising their hands to God. I see Estelle walking around the stroller with our kids. And this little voice in my head's like, you can't do that. You're going to blow up their life. You're going to destroy all this stuff. Just get over that. So that's the voice I listened to sadly that night. And, and I, I just kind of pushed all that away from me. And then it was years before I was willing to re-engage with that. Um, so what happened was um, eight or nine years later, I was working in youth ministry and other men. Like I was like an associate who did youth missions, other stuff at this Methodist church. And I loved the church. I loved what I was doing there for the most part, but our denomination was, you know, really struggling still is the Methodist church is like splintering apart right now. And I was a person because, you know, remember from my Calvary chapel days, I'm very, I was very uh, conservative theologically. I was very much the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And now I'm seeing all these Methodists that are talking about, you know, gay marriage and ordaining gay pastors and, uh, and all this kind of stuff that, that to me was like way out of bounds. You know, I was struggling with, to be honest with you, I was having a hard time even with like women pastors, you know, and I'm in this, I'm in this church where, where that's happened. I, I can sort of let that slide. But like when it came to all this stuff with human sexuality and all these things that were coming, I was just like, no way. Yeah, yeah. But what I saw happening was as we would have these conversations in within our context of United Methodism, the people who were, who were more liberal in these positions, they didn't care what the Bible said. They didn't care what church tradition was. They didn't care about any of that. All they cared about was their own opinion. And that, that just didn't seem right to me. But what I learned was just arguing from scripture alone, wasn't going to get it done. So that's when I started like talking about the authority of the church and the, the importance of tradition. And I remember one of my friends was like, well, then why aren't you Catholic if you believe all that stuff? And that sort of got my mind like rattled a little bit. And I started dusting off some of those old apologetics books that Devin had given me years ago. I started thinking about things. And by this time, Catholic YouTube was a thing. So I started watching some videos and some different things. And right in the middle of all this, 
is when Greg, our friend that took me to Medjugorje all those years ago, he called me up and he's like, Hey, I, I want to, uh, Sandy and I want to take you and Estelle to see a movie. And so we're like, okay. So they drove up to where we live and the four of us went to go see this movie called Apparition Hill, which is about Medjugorje. Right. And so we watched this movie and it was like something within me that had been dormant for all those years when it came to like the blessed Virgin Mary just sort of reemerged. And I was like, I could see it with different eyes and I'm like, Oh wow. And I began to, I remember began to share this well with, with those guys. Well, here's the difference. All those years later, after going through a lot of junk in my life and in our marriage and stuff, now I'm basically having those conversations with Estelle where I am talking about Catholicism and I am talking about, you know, the authority of the scripture and the authority of the church and how all this plays out. So it was a kind of the second go around into this world was way different because first of all, I had gotten over the whole youth ministry rock star thing because my youth ministry kind of flamed out on me um, eventually at the first church. And then I kind of flamed out on ministry altogether after that. So when I sort of like came to this new place, I didn't care anymore about, you know, being some big successful pastor. I, I didn't care about, I just cared about following Jesus. And so you know, my ego wasn't there anymore. Like, like it was in the past, which was really allowed me to handle this in a lot more healthy way by having these conversations with Stell. So she was a lot more involved in that, but doesn't mean that she was feeling the same way about Catholicism. <laughs> well, well, what did I you just think? Point one thing out. I think it's very interesting that with the question that to me, it was about 15 years later, Cause I was doing the math in yeah. my head and it was like 15 years, but for you, it was a lot less because all along those years, he yeah. had been thinking about it different times, but I was never informed. Yeah. So like from the first time you mentioned anything about it to the next time, it was for me about 15 years, but for him, it was a lot shorter because he was processing it yeah. differently. Yeah. So what do you think of still of this new when when it began to reemerge these discussions? What what were you thinking? I mean, because you were it, it's curious to me because you were raised Catholic and you said yourself that you didn't really know your faith very well. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about when when Keith begins to bring up the, these ideas again? So for me, this time it was a completely different experience because. We were a pastor's family for 22 years. Uh, I was volunteering in the church. We were reading our Bibles, teaching our kids, and I was teaching Sunday school classes. You know, so here I'm learning the faith and I'm totally on board and I'm super excited about it. Now, that being said, I was concerned about the different things happening in the Methodist church as well. So I wasn't on board with all of that either. So I understood when Keith, you know, started bringing out the old Catholic books. Like I, I understood, but for me, I was now like believing all of what I had been taught and teaching myself for 22 years. So it was a completely different experience. Um, I wouldn't say it was bad. I would say that I was very excited for Keith 
I saw him wrestling with God and just wanting so bad to follow what God is calling him to do. And when he did finally say and was leaning towards saying, so even leaning up to it or leading up to it, I feel like I was just in awe of Keith's journey. And I'm like, wow, I am so proud of my husband. How amazing to have a husband that just wants to follow God. Like how lucky am I? (laughs) So I felt very excited for him. I wasn't processing at the time that this meant that it was going to change my life as well. That's great was, for you. Oh, wait, we're like, married. Wow, he's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. What a great guy. <laughs> and now he has no job. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what I learned after all these years is life with Keith is always an adventure. So. I was ready to embrace the new adventure. Oh, man. So it was fine um, leading up to it. So, yeah, that goes for all Keiths. It's it's an adventure living living with the Keith. I've I've heard this said too. Were you, I I love that how you frame that because, of course, like what what you want as a, a spouse is. Is a husband who's following God, who's just yeah. dedicated wholeheartedly to following that, until it leads somewhere. Like, wait a second, like, what's going on? Did you realize the practical implications of this? I think that's really, really interesting. Were there topics that he was wrestling with that you were also like? Because you mentioned the Methodist Church and how it was beginning to ask questions and, and go in directions that you were uncomfortable with, and we were also in a similar position in our non-denominational church, very mm. similar issues, asking questions that that I was then looking at the Catholic Church to answer because it, it had a way of interpreting the Bible that was was different than just me and guys wrestling with, with the scripture, right? The, mm-hmm. the church had a different way of solving those kind of problems. Were were those issues everything that you guys kind of wrestled with together? Like would Keith go, hey, look, this is a, the Catholic church has this thing called the magisterium that kind of solves this, this scripture issue. Were you guys getting into the weeds like that in those days? Or were you just kind of in, in awe of, of his journey and, and him answering those questions? Like, were you interested in, in asking questions like that? Not too? yet. Not at that time. I was not. I would say, um, well, maybe I had cultural questions about that, you know, about that issue. And okay, tell me what the Catholic Church teaches and stuff like that. But I wouldn't say at that time we were getting into the weeds with anything much deeper. That would come later. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That I remember that kind of stuff. It was weird, Keith, because. Like I would, I I felt like I was, I was giving her all of these, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I really think I'm going to do this. And then, but I still feel like she wasn't like, you're really going to do it, you know? (laughs) And the night that I came home and told her, I'm like, this is happening. I am doing this. She was like, okay, well, I'm so proud of you. Okay. It's going to be okay. Whatever we're going to do. And then it didn't really feel hundred percent real though for, I don't know, probably a week or two because I went into my pastor the next day and I told him, I said, look, I, I'm, I'm going to become Catholic. And he said, okay, we need to talk about that. And what was it, what was kind of interesting was there was a, a brief moment. And I know this was sort of orchestrated by my priest a little bit, but cause I had been talking to my, to my, my priest that I'd been meeting with. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do for a job. I don't know what's going to happen. And, and he said, this was kind of interesting. He said, well, I don't know why you have to quit your job just because you became Catholic. And I was like, yeah, right. That's pretty funny. He goes, no, seriously. He goes, you can work in the Methodist church as a Catholic. 
And I was like, no, I'm dead serious. Like, I can't do that. He's like, no, you can. And basically what he said was this. He said, he said, if you can do everything that you need to do to fulfill your obligations as a Catholic, but you just happen to work at a Methodist church, as long as you don't teach anything against the Catholic faith, he's like, I don't know why anybody would say that you can't do that, but you can't take the sacraments. You can't do, you know, I mean, it was basically a scenario that would have been impossible, but he's said that to me. So I went back and I said that to my pastor. I said, well, I need to become Catholic. Uh, you know, so I probably need to quit unless you want me to stay. And, you know, that took about 10 minutes for him to be like, no, I mean, we had a conversation with a couple people and they're like, no, Keith, you can't be Catholic and work in the Methodist church. And I remember I said to him, I said, you know, I could marry my cat and you guys would be okay with that. But if I become Catholic, I can't be here anymore. Um, and they're like, yeah, pretty much, buddy. But um, when, when I actually like made the announcement to my church, I am leaving, right? This is then, then Stella and I were like, okay, now what happens? But our issue wasn't really about, we weren't scared of the financial p- picture. Okay. We probably should have been, but <laughs> Estelle and I have been through so much in our, in our life together. We've been, we've been like dirt poor two or three times in our marriage. And so, and we'd always gotten through it. We'd had times in our marriage when we had a decent amount of money and then times when we had nothing. And what we had learned together was that our level of happiness with our family, with each other, had nothing to do with how much money we made or what we were doing for jobs or anything like that. We, as long as her and I were solid and at the time, like we were solid. So we were like, even though I was on this Catholicism thing and she didn't really seem interested in the Catholicism part of it, like we were like, going to be, it's going to be okay. Where it got really difficult was when the changes came to our family. Okay. Because we had three teenage kids at the time. And I remember Father Chris telling me, he was our priest, he said, look, you can't make them become Catholic with you. They're going to have to do what they feel called to do because they were too old for me just to announce, oh, you're Catholic now. So, and I, I was very cognizant of the fact that I couldn't force this on Estelle either. And I remember saying to her, look, this is what I need to do. But if you don't feel called to do this and you want to stay at the Methodist church with the kids, you know, I will... Figure, we'll figure out how that works. Obviously, I can't work there, but, you know, maybe I'll go to mass by myself and then I'll go to church with you guys. But, like, I have to be Catholic, but you don't. And she was like, we're not doing that. She's like, I am going where you go. Um, but that meant things for her. You know, we had to get our marriage uh, basically redone in the Catholic church because she was raised Catholic. So she was under that obligation and we didn't get married in the Catholic church. We got married in Methodist church. So I had to go to her and say, Oh, by the way, our marriage is invalid. We got to do this. Um, Oh, and by the way, you know, you have to go to confession. And by the way, I mean, there were, there were all those like the real world things that were coming together. And then we had to start going to mass. And that was where things for her really began to like hit her in the face was when now instead of going to church with our five of us in our family, in where we go now, she's back in mass without our kids and she didn't want to be there. Oh, that, that sounds scary and, and, and difficult. Uh, not least of all the, the, like the marriage thing and the, like, that's a, wow. What, what's, what's that like Estelle? That, that sounds 
it was scary, horrible. And it was something that I never even thought of leading up to it. I keep saying leading up to it. I hate that, but I, it was horrible. I didn't really handle it. Well, I would say (laughs) I basically cried my eyes out in mass from start to finish for maybe a few months. And it was very weird. I had a lot of things, a lot of uh, baggage or something that I had to work through a little bit with like baggage from the Catholic church, like upbringing, but mostly like within our marriage, you know, I was, that's when I start processing like, okay, well, we believe this and now we're doing this and all these different things. And wow, I followed Keith into the Protestant church and now I'm following Keith in the Catholic church. I'm just a follower and I don't question. And why don't I question? Why do I lead or why do I follow him so easily? You know, stuff like that, like these weird, not great, things were going through my head and I'm not proud of it. Like a lot of times people applaud me or something and they're like, wow, you're an amazing wife for following Keith into the Catholic church. And I think, uh, that's nice. But really what was going on in my head was not good. I did follow him physically, but mentally I had a lot of processing that I needed to do. So it was, it was challenging and I did not expect it at all. Yeah. Well, you, you'd married a, a pastor, right? You, married, I, yeah. you know, that was, that was the foundational to, to your marriage. I, I can't imagine the, the struggle of, of that headspace change. Plus you mentioned, Keith mentioned your, your teenage kids, right? You can't make them follow you into the church. Right. You're going back, Back a step in a sense, you know, Keith took you out of the, the Catholic Church. <laughs> Good job, buddy. And now he's bringing you back in again. And it, like that does seem difficult to, to kind of process those things. And yes. I, I guess, too, you agreed to kind of go with him. But this I hear, too, from listeners to the show and, and from pe- talking to people on this show is, you know, Keith, you process all these things. You wrestle with things like Sola Scriptura and, and the authority of the Bible and the saints and Mary and these different apologetic things that Devin had given you way back when and you'd kind of had percolated and read these books and watched these videos. Estelle, you were just following Keith, like trusting that, okay, we're, we're doing this next. It's different than you going on your own journey and unpacking right. all those things right at the, at the same time. Like that's right. that's scary. <laughs> It it was super scary. And you know how Keith said earlier, his identity was wrapped up in being the youth pastor or a pastor. Well, my identity was wrapped up in being, you know, the pastor's wife slash mommy. And here I am going to church as a former pastor's wife. Like faith is very important, but my kids aren't with me. It did not feel right. It was not good. (laughs) It still isn't great. Like, you know, I mean, they're all in their twenties now, but I don't like not being with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, did things, I mean, your experience of, I guess, of mass all those years later, going, going back to it. Like you said, you cried through the first, the first several months of it. Was it because liturgy was just so bad? And so, no, (laughs) was it, that could be part of it. (laughs) Was it a different, a different experience when you began to, to sit through that, knowing 
you know, Keith's journey and hearing things from from him, then beginning to let that kind of in was it was different experience going back after all those years. It was a very different experience because now my heart was open oh, to yeah. learning. Yeah. When before, when you're a kid and you're brought up in the faith, you don't you you just go to go or whatever. You you're not really learning or understanding why you're doing things. So I would say though, when I was crying for the first couple months, I wasn't thinking about anything in the mass. I was thinking about myself, yeah, my yeah, practical yeah. life, you know, the past, um, stuff like that. But one day I was praying in mass and I felt I was, I was talking to God. I was like having this, this inner dialogue and I was like, God, I know this isn't what you want for us and for me to come here and be miserable and to be, you know, upset at Keith on the way home every Sunday. I know you, you don't want this. And I felt like God said, you're right. I don't want this. So how about you start paying attention? (laughs) And, you know, he probably used different words. I'm paraphrasing, of course, (laughs) but I felt like I made a commitment after that prayer. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start listening. And I was blown away. And it was like a night and day difference that next week. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much scripture (laughs) and stuff like that, that I was not paying attention to in those first couple months, because like I said, I was wrapped up in my feelings and my emotions. But when I allowed myself to open my heart and my ears and my eyes to all of that, I was blown away. And that's when I started to really want to learn more and embrace the faith for myself. And, and it was pretty exciting. <laughs> and then you obviously did. Like you, you, yes. you obviously began to let that sink in. And I think it's interesting because, you know, Keith, your journey was a journey out of Protestantism based on wrestling with different things, you know, authority and scripture and like apologetic weight that drew you into the Catholic faith. We've been through this discussion before on the show many times, your journey in different aspects of it and questions of sola scriptura and sola fide, uh, you know, the idea, the idea uh, that you can, you're once saved, always saved and do whatever you want to in, in, in the meantime. These things that you began questioning, Keith, that then you began to see unravel, right? And the Catholic Church had answers to those kinds of things. Well, here's an alternative to these, these Protestant ideas. But Estelle, I don't think your journey was was that kind of a journey, right? No. Which, is, which is so interesting to me because there are these different journeys, different entry points in the, into the Catholic faith. And you at, raised Catholic, right? Here you are you know, going along with Keith, who's been who's come to the church, I'm, not solely through argumentation, Keith, and through reading, but you know, you had some journey, you had some experiences too, right? But largely uh, as a Protestant coming to this this pearl of great price here in the field and you know, selling everything, quitting your job and, and, and coming to, to, to capture and join the Catholic faith. Uh, Estelle, you were rediscovering a faith, you know, through Keith's journey that you you had that was dormant, that you're now kind of know, rediscovering. I think yeah. that's a really interesting, different kind of journey, those those two journeys. So so how did you begin to, like, what was the experience for you then as you began to to listen in mass and to kind of open, open your heart to that. Was it? Well, like I said, I was super blown away yeah. by how much scripture, you know, cause in the Protestant world, you're like, well, what about the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? Where yeah, the Bible, yeah. the Bible, the Bible. And here we're opening up the scripture and 
were reading so much and it was so exciting. So I think that just understanding everything um, was based in scripture and hearing all the different scriptures and our priests are amazing um, with their homilies, how they tie in the different scriptures. So we are very, very blessed at our parish with amazing homilies that teach us very well. Um, So I feel like that and then our conversations on the way home got yeah. very exciting because, um, I mean, again, this was, yes, I was raised in the Catholic Church, but I never knew why I did what I did. So it felt brand new again. So I'm like a little kid yeah. going, okay, so why do we dip our water? Our, why do we dip our, our fingers in the water and bless ourselves when we walk in? And he would explain even that, like the basic stuff. And even just knowing now that there's meaning in that got very exciting. So they were like the little baby steps that led into, and now we have deeper conversations and stuff like that. I wouldn't say that uh, I process things uh, like theologically, (laughs) like, like Keith does. I like to learn from Keith, but I don't ask those questions ahead of time, like in my own mind, like we'll have those conversations and I'll be like, Oh yeah, that's a good question. Why is that? You know, stuff like that. But I don't come up with those on my own. My journey is a lot more practical and stuff like that. I would, I would say. Yeah. Keith, Keith, were you like, how does she not know these things? She was raised Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of, but I also knew that, you know, just because someone was raised Catholic, I mean, how many times have you heard from someone who's like, hey, listen, yes. I was raised Catholic. Therefore, you know, I know. And they don't know anything. <laughs> so I I knew that she didn't really know and that it wasn't her fault. What it really did for me, though, is it kind of made me upset yeah. because I thought, how could you be raised 12 years of school <laughs> in the Catholic Church, all of this stuff and not know anything? And, and it was, it was difficult and we all still wrestle with that. Um, but what I appreciated about, about her was that she got to that point where she was willing to say, okay, let's have those conversations because, you know, a lot of times with new converts and their spouses, they can drive them crazy with always want to talk about Catholicism all the time. It's like, Hey, I just watched this video. I read this book. And the wife's just like, shut up, you know, the husband or whatever. And I, I knew that I had gone like, super overboard with some of that stuff. And I didn't want to be that guy. So I tried to sort of keep it contained within myself, you know, without being um, totally inward. But when she would ask me questions about it, I was like, this is awesome. You know? Um, So we would, we would have these conversations and um, as we were learning and, and things together. And part of the reason why I was able to really relate to that was because I, I felt brand new too. Like when I first joined the Catholic church, you know, a convert coming in, you might've read all of the books and had all the theological stuff, but that is not necessarily going to translate to now you're an expert at being Catholic. It's one thing to know about Catholicism. It's another thing to know about what it's like to be Catholic. Yeah, Yeah. And they're two different things. And I was learning that being Catholic was more than just knowing some stuff. 
so I was kind of unpacking that as well. So we got to kind of go through that together. Like, for example, where should we sit in first? Because there's a lot of screaming kids in here. We can't hear anything. And we're trying to, like, we don't know Sorry. what's going on in the mass that well. So we had, like, I remember we had this conversation, like, maybe we should sit toward the front so we could actually make sure we hear and see everything. So we would do that. We're like, okay. And did you, and then we would talk about it. Did you see when he did this? What was that all about? And how did that work out? And, and we had all these different experiences like that together where we were discovering that part of it, which, which ended up being like super fun once we could have those conversations, but it took, it took some time, but it, it wasn't really until a year before I feel like we were like, all in together on this because we went to Medjugorje. Um, Greg invited us to go to Medjugorje again. And this time Stell went with me. So like we went, it was, the, it was my, remember my one year anniversary of coming into the church was the first day that we arrived in Medjugorje. And the last day that we were there, um, Estelle had this pretty powerful experience that I'll let her share with, with you about, about confession. But leading up to this, she had really been encouraging me to try to like re-engage in doing some kind of ministry. Cause remember when I left my ministry job in the church, that was it. I wasn't doing that anymore. So I wasn't like making videos, writing books, doing podcasts, none of the stuff I'm doing now. I wasn't doing any of that. And I had no desire to do it. And I never thought I would ever do it. So but she's saying to me, Hey, when are you going to like start giving talks? The Catholic church could, they could, they could use you, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I gave that up. So she's the one pushing me into that and I'm resisting. Well, when we got to Medjugorje, like something happened over there where everything changed in an instant. Now, how's that for setting that up? <laughs> Estelle, what, what happened? Well, I'm just part of it. But basically, when I was young and in about fourth grade, I had a, a not great experience in confession where I said, you know, like I, I was in Catholic school, I yeah, said yeah. my sins and I was a good kid. But, you know, I had some sins and the priest started yelling at me in confession and I was absolutely terrified because I felt like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like I'm a good, I'm a good kid. I'm one of the good ones here, you know, and this and that. And I felt like he was yelling at me and he told me I didn't belong in Catholic school. I belonged in the public school across the street and my parents are wasting their money sending me here. And I was like, wow. So I was, well, you were nine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was in fourth grade. So however old you are in fourth grade, I was so upset. And I decided in that moment, I am never going to confession again. Yeah, yeah. Never. Yeah. Because that, like, I can confess my sins to Jesus. And I did do that. Like, if I sinned, I was, I really was trying to be a good kid. So if I felt like I did something wrong or whatever, I did ask Jesus for okay. forgiveness. So I feel like. That, that was it. Yeah. So in the rest of my Catholic schooling, when it was time to go to confession, I would sit out and I would be the one kid in the classroom and I would say, no, thank you. I'm not going to confession. So I didn't go. Well, 
it was pretty interesting because uh, like Keith mentioned earlier, when we had to have our church, our marriage, you know, validated in the Catholic church, one of the things I had to do was go to confession and I was okay to do that because I really loved our priest and I trusted him, but it was very weird to go in and say, you know, forgive me, father, for I have sinned. It's been, you know, 35 years since my last confession or whatever. Um, But even with that confession, I just did it because I had to, because I felt like I had confessed my sins to Jesus and all of that. Well, when we were in Medjugorje the last night, we went to every service we could. We went to every rosary. We went to adoration. We went to everything that we possibly could on that last night. So it was nonstop. Well, the last thing we were doing before the end of the night was we were going to go to adoration. And I felt like while we were praying that this voice in my head was saying, you really need to go to confession. And I was like, no way. I know. And I was having, again, this like thought process, inner dialogue, I guess, in my head. And I was like, God, if you wanted me to go to confession, you should have told me three days ago because (laughs) it's the last night. And I don't want to miss anything cool. So no, I'm not going to go. And I felt like I'm not doing this. So I decided I wasn't going to go. And at the end of adoration, one of the people in our group came up and he said, okay, you guys ready for pizza? And I was like, yes. So I jumped up and we went out for pizza and it was probably 930 at night. And As I'm eating the pizza, I'm like, oh, I think I messed up pretty bad because this whole time I've been asking God to talk to me. And what I heard him say, go to confession. I said, no, thank you. Basically, tell me something else. Uh, That's not what I wanted to hear. So anyway, I asked Greg, the guy um, who invited us to go. I said, hey, Greg, what do you think the chances are of getting into confession tonight? And he said, not very good. He goes, it's about 10 o'clock or whatever. And he said to find an English speaking priest. He said, I don't know if if you're going to be able to. And I said to Keith, I, I really want to walk over and just try. So we walk over and you can see it's just bare, like it's outdoor confession. And normally it's swarming with people and there was nobody. It was dark and I'm feeling pretty hopeless and I'm walking up and it was super cool because there was one priest sitting on a folding chair with a sign next to him that says English. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. So we walk up and I sit down and I basically said, okay, it's my last night in Medjugorje. I really feel like I'm supposed to be here. And I have had trouble with confession and all my other confessions were done out of obligation. So I would like to treat this as my first confession. Is that okay? And he said, absolutely. So I just spilled my guts, like everything I could think of, even stuff that I had confessed to Jesus on my own. The other things that I got yelled at for (laughs) by the other priests, but like everything. And it was awesome because he said, you know, After all of that, your sins are forgiven. He said, but that's not the real reason you're here. And I was like, 
Okay. And, and he said, the real reason you're here is because it's your last night in Medjugorje. You had been asking God to speak to you about your future and you thought he was going to on this trip and you haven't heard anything. And here's what he has for you. And he basically said, be patient, continue doing what you're doing and trust me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I jumped up. I was crying. I was laughing. I was doing everything. And I hugged him. And Keith, it was so funny to hear his perspective (laughs) because it's an outdoor confession. He can't hear what I'm saying. He just sees me from in a distance. And he was like, what was that? That's the weirdest confession I ever saw. Are you supposed to jump up and hug your priest at the end? It was, it was awesome. And I felt like that was it. Like that I heard from God through the priest. I felt like Jesus just spoke right to me. Like it was amazing. And things changed for us after that. Yeah. Like the, the, the very, like she came as I'm watching this happen and she was like so excited about what had taken place. And, you know, we're leaving the next day. And I felt like, praise God, this is, this is a miracle, you know, because I had seen her trying so hard to, I'd, I'd seen the struggle that she had in the first few months of this whole thing. And I really felt bad for her, you know, and then I had seen her kind of engaging and trying to learn and being excited about things. But there was still a part of her that I think was, was yet to be reconciled to the whole thing. But then it was like that confession it was like, cause she, you know, I think this happens too, Keith, like everything had been so much about me and my conversion. I heard from God from all of a sudden, she felt like she was just along for the ride, but now it was her who got a chance to have that experience that was powerful and it had nothing to do with me. And that's what she needed. And that's what I needed for her. It was yeah. weird because like I needed to see that. And the fact that she got that, I just, that's what I had been praying for the whole time. God, do something in my wife, show her, give her this experience. And when she had that, it was, it was incredible. And then, you know, she was like, okay, now I'm excited about the future. We're just supposed to be patient. Now, neither one of us were like, okay, well, we, don't know, we still know what we're going to do. Well, the very next day on the way to um, split Croatia, which is the city where you fly out of, we're on the bus and there's a time on the day when everyone prays in Medjugorje. Right. And it was that time on the bus, people start praying and as I'm praying, the Lord just hits me in the face with this idea for this book, The Convert's right, yes, Guide to Roman yes, Catholicism. Yes. And I literally take out my phone, start typing in the thing. And she's sitting next to me. She's like, are you texting? Like, what are you doing? We're so praying. Mad. And I showed her, I said, this is the book I have to write. And I still have that note on my iPhone. And then, and really it was interesting because after we got back is when all of this other stuff in our ministry life started to happen. It was like that breakthrough needed to take place. We needed that year. We needed, she needed that experience. I needed that experience. And now that we both like fully (laughs) said we're in on this, then it was like, God was like, now we can do something here. And then everything started after that. And that was in 2018, the fall of 2018 and the spring of 2019 is when I gave my testimony 
um, and was recorded in my church, which is the one on YouTube. That's got all those views. I mean, for, for my channel, it's a lot, but, um, and then it was just like one thing after another from there. Um, and then it was a year of 2019 writing the book, doing all of that. And then 2020 deciding to do ministry again, like full time. Wow. <laughs> and then it's been nonstop since then. Like the, the sled was being pushed up the hill all of 2018. And then in 2019, it started to go down and then just pick up steam. And now we're just like, both of us are hanging on for dear life, <laughs> trying to avoid the trees. You know? Oh, that's amazing. And I, I love how, how you can look, you know, and I love this sometimes it happens in our lives too. And it has recently with this whole move we've done across the, the province for us and, and a new job and all these kind of things for us and our family. You, you get these, these glimpses backwards sometimes, right? To see how, how God was putting those pieces together as and you you can't at the time see that right but you you didn't realize at the time Estelle that you needed this breakthrough of your own you didn't realize Keith that you're you know you're praying for that and then it would happen here at this time and that would be a thing that would then like you you, you wouldn't have imagined that meeting Devin all the way back yeah back then would have the the ripples like but you can look back sometimes God gives us these glimpses to see back and go wow I can see how these things fit mm-hmm. together now and it's beautiful yeah it's, it's amazing. You don't realize the time, but you can then see how that worked. And I love how orchestrated this this is, right? How, gosh, in that last night, that thing that you needed, that breakthrough, was there. And that, that harkens back to this awful confession you have when you were in grade four and this, mm-hmm. right, this breakthrough all those years later. I think that's just, that, that's just amazing. And, of course, you needed to sell your own kind of journey like that, right? That mm-hmm. That makes sense. But it was what you needed. It wasn't anything like Keith's journey it was right. but it happened to the place Keith that was important to you I guess <laughs> earlier on like I mean I, I there's yeah. there's so many pieces of that story that I think are just so fascinating and so so obviously God's hand in in the whole journey you guys have have been on I, I love mm-hmm. that. that that's amazing <laughs> what a great story <laughs> you know it's been lot, quite a ride <laughs> it, it has and a lot of people have different things in their lives where they go okay, I know God was there and I feel like I've been having that for the last, yeah. you know, five years. Yes. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years ago, we were at a conference that went and spoke at and we were staying there in the van. And uh, cause we, we, we bought a, a RV and now we travel around the country praying the rosary of with people. Yeah, of course you and do. we happened to be at this, this, this uh, conference and everyone had left for the night and we were alone on this property and we were walking around. And I remember saying to Estelle that night, I said, man, can you, can you believe what we're doing? <laughs> and I mean, people had traveled on airplanes to come to this thing, to pray the rosary with us and to hear me give a talk. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and I said, I will never question whether or not this was God will, yeah. because I have seen, I have seen the hand of God work in such a powerful way in our lives to where, how can you, how could you ever look at all of these things and say, Oh, well, that's just coincidence or whatever. I would never, no matter what happens, I will, I will never doubt that because it's just been, it's, it's, it's just been like this incredible relationship with God where he just says, trust me. And you do. And he comes through doesn't mean it's always been easy yeah. and that doesn't mean there haven't been sacrifices yeah. and it doesn't mean it's, we have a happy ending all the time because you know what? Our kids are still not on this journey with us. Um, and that's really, really, really hard. 
And, you know, not everything has gone perfectly for us. Uh, but that that isn't the point. Yeah. God never promised any of that, right? But what we have experienced is that as we have together leaned into the Catholic faith and experienced it with all of our hearts and doing the doing what we can. Father Chris used to tell us that all the time. He'd say, you do what you can. Because we'd always be like, well, are we supposed to do this? What about this? Well, I can't do that. What about this? And he would just say, Keith, do what you can. You know, almost like... Duh. Didn't you guys have that in Protestantism? You know, like God doesn't expect you to do things you can't do. He wants to do things through you that you can't do, but he's, he's going to call you to things that with his help you can do, but he's never going to call you to do anything impossible. Right. So if he calls you to do it, you can do it. But if you can't, then that means he hasn't called you to it. Okay. Now, what am I talking about? Basically this, You can't, you can't do things that you aren't in control of, right? I can't make somebody else become Catholic. I can't make somebody else fall in love with Jesus. And again, if we get so wrapped up in all the things that are, are wrong or the things that we can't understand or the things that we have no control over, then we're going to miss out on what God wants to do, uh, do through us and in us with the things that we do have control over, which is our responses and our, like our part in this. And it's just been, it's been awesome. It's been terrifying. It's been <laughs> exhilarating. Um, but I tell you what, through all of this, there hasn't been one moment, not one single second when I've ever regretted it. You guys are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you one more question. We could talk for hours on this and there's lots we could deconstruct here and, and, and pull apart and, and examining closer. And this has been a really fun conversation and thank you. I wonder what you have advice-wise for couples who are on this journey. And there's there's all kinds of couples and all kinds of different different configurations, right? Where a husband's on the journey and the wife is not, or wife is and husband's not, and husband is pastor and on the journey and, and wife is not. I mean, I, I hear from all these different kinds of configurations of people on these journeys. So, you I mean, you, you can't speak to all the different circumstances. You can speak to your own. But I wonder... Estelle and Keith, advice, takeaways you have that you would want to share with a couple who is on a journey like this that, that you've learned along the way that, that, I don't know, mistakes you've made or things you'd say, you know, this worked really well doing this. Can you think of anything that you want to impart? Well, I think it's great that you, you said that there's many different kinds of couples, the pastor or the, you know, the one who's not on a faith journey at all and one who is searching for Catholicism because we can't really speak one thing that would apply to everybody. But if I had to be really general, I think I would say um, understand their heart in what they're going through. Their heart is to follow Jesus. And they are just trying to learn as much as they can and follow God and hear from God. And I think if you start there in your mind, I think you give grace for the, oh my gosh, he won't shut up about it or whatever, (laughs) you know, annoyances or things that might be causing some tension. If you start in your mind and you just go, I know that they're, you know, the heart is in the right place. I actually think that applies for everything in marriage, but um, specifically for that as well. I, so, and that's a very general thing, but just starting there, do you think that? Yeah, I think that's great. And I think, 
you know, basically kind of feeling like I've gone through this twice, one way, not so great. The other way, a little bit better, maybe. Hmm. Um, I think the, the other thing to remember is be open about what you're feeling and what you're thinking, but also be patient with the fact that the other person may not be there. So Mm -hmm. let's say you're the Catholic person or the person exploring Catholicism and your, your spouse isn't, and you're trying, like, you need to explain to them like, Oh, I've learned some awesome stuff, but recognize that for them, if they're not there yet, you have to give them grace. You have to, you have to allow them to be where they are on the journey because you might be on step 963 and they're on step 12. Okay. There's a lot of steps that they still have to walk. And a lot of times I think people just want to go, well, this is what I'm doing. So therefore you should be as excited about it as I am. And Hey, do you want to watch the sky on conversion story with me on our anniversary? <laughs> That's really cool. And they might be like, no, I don't really want to watch that. You can't be mad about that. You just have to be like, okay. Um, but basically I think it boils down to the, the, the overall, um, virtues of charity and love and understanding and selflessness and being willing to be humble the entire time that you're going through this, understand that what you're dealing with and learning might be scary for that other person and give them grace in that. And don't get defensive. If they, if they want to, if they want to like, if they go, that's ridiculous. Purgatory is not a thing. Like, don't be like, what? Are you kidding me? Listen to what Keith Little said on his podcast. You know, like understand that you had to be convinced at one point in time too. So don't get all worked up. Don't become argumentative. Just, just walk through things with, with patience and humility and it'll be okay. Yeah. And easy for two type A personalities, right, to wrestle with yeah. that when you both want to be right all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, guys. This has been an amazing experience for me. I I know listeners, viewers will also love this because I just I I, I that was fantastic. Oh, um, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't too boring for everybody listening to us. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that was that was awesome. I'll put links to all your stuff, uh, Keith, in the show notes. But where do you want to point listeners towards? Maybe generally where they can go to find out more if they don't already follow you on different, on different places, where, where should they go? Well, I think one thing that would be cool is to, to know that on my YouTube channel, which is just Keith Nestor, my testimony is on there, but Estelle's testimony yes. is also on there too. So yes. um, a couple of years ago, she gave her testimony at our church, the same place I gave mine. Um, hers is called my side of the story. And I've had, it's funny because, you know, we go to these conferences and events and stuff like that. And I'll have people that'll walk up to me and they'll be like, Oh, are you Estelle's husband? (laughs) Because a lot of people have, have found out about my ministry because they saw her story on YouTube, which I think is awesome. Um, So, cause, cause it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible journey. So YouTube is the place I'm most active, but I do have a website for my ministry, which is called down to earth. And the website is down to earth ministry.org. And it's down the number two, so the two is not T-O. So down the number two earth mystery.org. Um, you can find me there. I'm also on Twitter at Keith Nestor one and Instagram at Keith Nestor Catholic and Facebook at Keith Nestor Catholic speaker, <laughs> all that stuff. 
it's fantastic stuff, Keith. And I'll put links to all those things in the show notes. And I love, Estelle, I love your video. I think more than I like Keith's video. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> I, I like this better than mine too. It's oh great. my goodness. It's great. It's awesome. Uh, guys, thanks so much for being here. This was really awesome. And I want to say God bless you guys and the fantastic work you're doing for the church. Uh, can't wait until the RV comes up to Canada when we can yes. see you guys in person. So, uh, That'll be awesome. Some, it would be awesome. Some, someday. That's that's the dream, guys. Uh, yeah. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank and you awesome. for having us. Thank it's you awesome so talking much. to you. <laughs> Was that not incredibly fun? <laughs> What a fantastic conversation. My voice, as you can tell, just barely scraped by. So thanks for listening and putting up with my scratchy, (laughs) dying uh, voice as the allergy season descends upon where we're living here in the springtime in Canada. So thank you for for suffering through that and hopefully didn't detract from the amazing conversation that we just had here with Keith and Estelle Nestor. Gosh, that was... (laughs) Incredible. If you want to watch this on YouTube, youtube.com slash the cordial Catholic, uh, it is enhanced by just the, the, the look of admiration and love that Keith and Estelle have for one another. Really, I was just watching them sometimes. It just I, I love to, to see a couple like that interact. The joy, the love, this journey has been incredible for them and incredible to hear that and see that as it unwound. That's just <laughs> amazing. The CordialCatholic.com is our website. Uh, your feedback, CordialCatholic at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at CordialCatholic. The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And if you want to help support this show financially, those links are in the show notes at patreon.com slash CordialCatholic and paypal.me slash CordialCatholic to support this show. And thank you to those who are already supporting this show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, your ratings and reviews help to push the podcast out to new people. So thank you for those. And hey, if you want to watch this again, yeah, youtube.com slash The Cultural Catholic and subscribe to that channel if you haven't already. And thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Pray for me. I'm praying for you too. Talk to you again next week. Take care and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.